Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Scott, welcome back. Thank you. Aloha. Hey, y'all. A couple announcements, I think, before I... We're going to open scripture together. So Simon already made the young adult uh, party at the Willows Beach Park, 1 o'clock till... I think sundown, right, Simon? You're going to be there till sundown? Just kidding. <laughs> um, and then uh, youth, uh, it's one of those Sundays where something fun's happening. So uh, Aaron is inviting all of our youth to head to the Flying Squirrel out in... Esquimalt. Esquimalt, yes. So between uh, noon and four, different groups are going to show up there. Uh, you need to have registered or you need to be like bringing your kids, like, sorry, register online to make sure you fill the waiver and they can legally do it and won't just be sent out into the streets because uh, they haven't signed the waivers. Um, or be driving your kids there and fill out the stuff on, on the spot. There you go. So um, Aaron is around today. You can talk to him if you have any questions, but I hope there's a crowd. I've been hearing whispers of uh, my son and some others that are plotting to go for a couple hours and come home sweaty. So should be fun. If you've never been, Flying Squirrel is ripping fun, unless you have a bad back. And it's not at all. At all. Yeah. But you do get to walk away with some fun socks that we would be very awkward to wear on a Sunday morning, but if you did it, we would applaud you for your courage. I own a pair. Oh, we got some on right now. Oh, you got your shoes on, so I couldn't see it there, Charlie. I don't know if I'd believe you. Maybe later. All right. All right. Well, open with me to Psalm 23. If you have a Bible, church is a great place to have your Bible. Um, If you don't own a Bible and you'd like to, there are some uh, on the bookshelf in the commons, and you're welcome to take one and keep it. If you take any of the other books, you're stealing. But if you take that book, it's a blessing. (laughs) But we can talk about the other books if you need it. So Psalm 23. Um, As some of you know, Well, as was said, my name is Scott Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been away for a few months off on a sabbatical, and I'll give whispers and stories about that over the next while. Um, But this past week, Janet and I and Carter and Olivia were actually away as well up at Camp Homewood on Quadra Island, and Janet and I were the speakers. Janet did the evening firesides, and she killed it. It was so great. Uh, narrative style, everybody was leaning in, all like young to old, just leaning in with, and she took us into the story of Jonah. It was so magical. And we're out on a point with the ocean bay behind us, and here and there, like a, a seal pops up or something, and oh, it was dreamy, oh my gosh. Um, hard work for her, but awesome for us. And the morning, I uh, taught uh, as well, uh, five times. So probably not Typical advice to return from a sabbatical and then speak six times in seven days. However, honestly, it was a surprising gift. I have been to Camp Homewood for, I'm 44, I've been there roughly 21 summers of my life, going back to when I was six and seven and 15 and then 17 of the last 19 summers I've been on that soil. I've sat on the the point and prayed through Psalm 23 every single summer of my adult life. 
And it was such a gift to show up and speak. Because I think partly coming back from a sabbatical is a little part of me that feels all of a sudden nervous of like, ah, it's three, I've had three months off and what's going to be like to step back in and, and speak and teach and preach. And I felt like over the week, God just stirred me um, and met me and met others. And I come to you today speaking for the sixth time in seven days with not exhaustion, but this incredible gratitude to be with you. And yeah, so thankful. I'm thankful to be bringing God's word. And in that process, I, so I, uh, in summer of 2019, we did a series on the 23rd Psalm. My intention was to teach that here and to teach it at Homewood soon after. And then this thing called COVID came and that didn't happen. And so this summer I got to bring those messages to this camp that I've always prayed through the Psalm 23 um, while I'm there. But I had to write one last talk for it. I kind of reworked the four talks from the series I taught here in 2019. I had to write one other. I had a different plan for today. But as I lived in that bit of Psalm 23, I felt, I think I want to share this with you. So we're going to do something weird today, which is jump into the middle of a psalm and look at one verse. Um, but I just feel like I, I want to share this with you because I feel like God met me in it. So, so today we're coming to Psalm 23, verse Four. We're going to read the whole psalm, but we're going to zone in on this um, verse that is really the tender heart of Psalm 23, the part about the dark valley and God's needed comfort for us. And I suspect this is a word some of us desperately need right now and that all of us need at some point. So let's begin by reading this text together, this psalm. I want to invite you to read it from the screen. And I say that partly because I know some of you have it memorized in a different translation. And I know for me, when we're singing songs, I close my eyes and I sing from my heart and I butcher all the words. Anyone sitting beside me knows I, am, I become dyslexic when my eyes are closed. And I say words from other lines. Don't let that be you today as you read off this song with me. Let's read off the screen. I apologize. If any of you have a reading challenge, that is real. I actually have a reading challenge myself. I was tested during my sabbatical and discovered I read at the pace of a grade six student. Interesting fact. Um, so, that's a long story for another day. Uh, but let's read this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's one more, I think. Yeah. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Living God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you that we come today, um, this side of your revelation in Christ above all, this side of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit given to awaken women and men, young and old, to yourself and to unite us with Christ. 
And so we come today with hope that you are the God that loves us. We've sung it already. When we were enemies turned against you, you loved us, you were turned toward us. How much more? You, you are the same God loving us today, pursuing us today, seeking to draw us into your grace. So again, would you, Lord God, by your spirit, open up your word to us and open up us to you. Help us in this moment. Meet us, Lord. Don't let this just be another Sunday, another sermon we listen. It's good, it's not, it's neat. We want to hear your voice. We want to have our hearts open to you. So open our hearts to you. And in your grace, would you speak, Lord, through your word. Amen. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I suspect this is a verse that leads, this is the verse that leads many, if not most, to this psalm. I can't think of a psalm read at more gravesides, hospital beds than Psalm 23. And particularly because of this verse. Not just because it's for some people the only psalm that they know, but because of how this verse, verse 4, honestly names the reality that we all find ourselves at times in the dark valley, or as many of us know, in the valley of the shadow of death. And this seems to be central to the psalmist's aim. Um, I'm going to quote Eugene Peterson and a few others throughout here. Eugene Peterson has a sermon on Psalm 23 in his book, As King Fishers Set Fire, or something like that. It's a brilliant little punchy four pages. In there he says, the objective center of the psalm is the shepherd, who is identified as an image of God. But at the exact center, verse 4, the literary center of Psalm 23, a great shadow of all that is wrong in the world is introduced and threats to blot out the good and merciful presence of the shepherd. The shadow of death, death valley, or perhaps the darkest shadows of our, our harbingers of death, cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, divorce, domestic violence, grinding poverty, homelessness. I'm sure we could all add a few more to the list from our own experience or that of others around us. But here's Eugene Peterson's simple summary. He says, our lives are lived in the company of both the shepherd and the shadow. Our lives are lived in the company of both the shepherd and the shadow. And despite the heaviness of that statement on a beautiful summer Sunday, I think many of us are thankful for the honesty of this psalm, the honesty of God in this psalm. Because as we've talked about many times before as a community, sometimes faith in Jesus is presented or embraced as some sort of inoculation against dark valleys, as the guaranteed path to only green pastures, only quiet waters, souls that never need to be restored because they already have been and perpetually are all the time in every season, wherever we are, as long as we follow Jesus and have enough faith, right? That is sometimes how the story is told. But it is not what we discover in the pages of Scripture. It's not what Jesus, who is our Lord, our Savior, and the fullest revelation of God, it is not what Jesus teaches us, nor is it what we see in the life of Jesus. And this psalm 
names this honestly. And I'm so thankful it does. But more than that, it names the reality that the dark valleys of our lives are not what many of us feel or fear they are. They are not the sign of God's abandonment. The place where God is not. Now, as the psalm openly confesses, the dark valleys are the place where God is actively present. And this psalm, this verse gives us a window into this. They're a place where the she- that the shepherd knows well. So they're not the place where God is not. They are the place the shepherd knows well because he's walked them before us in more ways than we could ever comprehend, but also because he walks them with us, right? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Not just you know where I am, but you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, if you've spent any time in this psalm, I'm sure you're aware that up until this point in the psalm, the psalmist always speaks of God, the shepherd, in the third person. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. Up until this point, the psalm is something of a declaration about the shepherd. But here, in verse 4, in the honest acknowledgement of first-hand experience with the darkest valley, the psalm shifts, the psalmist shifts, pivots from speaking of God to speaking to God. For you are with me. Which makes sense. Not simply as an affirmation of the psalmist's experience, but also as the natural consequence of finding ourselves in the dark valleys of our lives, right? Because it's in these moments, in these seasons and places in our lives that we most naturally feel a deep if not desperate, need for God, to know God, to experience God, not just to read another book about God, but to know God, to experience God, to experience God's presence and care and comfort. These are the experiences in our lives that make many atheists and agnostics and former believers pray, whisper to the heavens, or as Eugene Peterson used to say, simply wish upwards. I'm sure we all have some friends who say, I don't believe in God, but they still at times find themselves wishing upwards as they drive to a job they hate, as they walk into a family that feels so broken, as they encounter brokenness in themselves. We all do, most of us, because the dark valleys in our lives so often lead us to fear. When all of our work seems to come to nothing, And when I say work, that could be the work of parenting, the work of a relationship, the work that makes you money or doesn't make you enough money. When all our work comes to nothing, when everything or everyone or seemingly both seem to be conspiring against us, when our bodies are failing with no recovery in sight, or our minds or emotions don't know which way is up and we find ourselves or someone we love slipping into depression and despair, or when the hidden sin of our life is all of a sudden not hidden and it seems to be shattering everything around us. In the dark valleys of our lives, most of us find ourselves pressed to fear, if not riddled with fear, afraid of what's coming and what it means, afraid of evil 
in us or around us, in others, in the world. It's what the dark does. We can't see what's coming and we're afraid of what's coming. I just spent a week, as I said, up at Camp Homewood. Been there all those summers. And Homewood has one of those lodges that's just home. It's got a hearth and a, it just feels... And they call it, it's called Rivendell Lodge. I mean, it's a place of restoration, right? Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. Place of restoration, renewal. But the basement is the scariest thing. There's this rock room that's just like underneath and they, they didn't um, blast the rocks out when they built the building. So this room that you walk through, there's bedrooms on one side as it steps into the, old, the new part of the lodge with bedrooms as well. But this big gathering room on one side is like a rock face that's still in the room and the kids, young kids climb on it and the parents of young kids are terrified. But if you walk through it at night, it is so dark because it's down below. And honestly, I've been at this camp so many times. I feel so much love when I'm at this camp. I feel loved by God. I feel loved by others. But when I'm in that room at night, I am crawling for a light switch. There's just something inside of me that's like, right? Probably because I've played some games in that room where you are stalking people in the night, maybe, and that's lingered with me. But anyways, that's what dark does. Because sometimes the darkness just feels too dark. And it freaks us out because we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's in there with us. We don't know what's around the corner. Do you know what I'm talking about? In the dark valleys of our lives, most of us find ourselves driven to fear, if not riddled with fear, afraid of what's coming and what it means, afraid of what's lurking, afraid of what is pursuing us in the dark. And yet, in Psalm 23, the psalmist isn't afraid. I will fear no evil. Why? Because the psalmist has come to know by grace that no matter what else may be out there, someone good, someone great, someone better, someone wise, all-loving, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the rescuing God of Exodus is also and even more so on their heels, pursuing them in the dark. This is the piece that hit me a few weeks back. And this isn't just poetic, sermonic hook here. This is what verse 6 of Psalm 23 tells us, though we maybe haven't realized it before. I haven't realized it before until recently. The psalmist declares, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, which include the dark valleys, right? All the days of our lives includes the dark valleys. And know this word, follow. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I want us to notice this because the Hebrew word here is more intense than just follow. It's more aggressive. It's more active. A better translation would be pursue, chase, even hound, which we normally don't think of as a, as a positive thing, right? We normally would think of as a negative thing. As Kenneth Bailey, one um, Old Testament scholar who studied a lot about uh, Middle Eastern culture, lived there for 50 years and taught there. He says, the idea of being followed is not generally a pleasant 
thought. If you race in the door and a friend says, what's up? Because your heart is racing. You say, I'm being followed. It's not typically a positive thing. Unless, unless what is pursuing you, chasing you, hounding you in the dark valley of your life is the shepherd's goodness and covenant love. Let me read Bailey's quote again. The idea of being followed is not generally a pleasant thought. Unless, unless the one, the one who pursues you, chases and hounds you is Jesus, your rescuing shepherd, shepherd who knows you and loves you and can see in the dark. Listen to how Kenneth Bailey describes this. He says, on the way home at the end of the day, a shepherd knows that there is danger of a wolf or some other predator following the returning herd in the hope that a young or injured sheep might lag behind and become easy prey. And let it be said, sheep are completely defenseless creatures. We'll talk about this in a bit. But according to the psalmist, in the dark valleys of our lives, as in all the days of our lives, we can rest, even rejoice in the dark in the confidence that what follows us and pursues us is God himself with goodness and covenant love. Tov and Hesed. John spent some time digging into Tov this summer. Lewis spent some time exploring Hesed, covenant love, unshakable, unwavering love. The one who pursues us in the dark, the psalm says, is our shepherd God with goodness and covenant love. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me. Not racing after us to throw our sins at us. Not racing after us to finally get us to get it together. Racing after us with tov, goodness, and chesed, covenant Love, covenant faithfulness, unshakable love will follow us, chase us, pursue us, run after us, you, me, all the days of our lives. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your goodness and love will chase after, will be on my heels at every turn. Can we just pause for a moment and let this sink in? If you're awake enough, close your eyes. If you're fading, oh, open your eyes, okay? <laughs> and in the stillness, invite the grace of this news to invade and rewrite your imagination, your vision of your life in this season. That instead of your sin being after you, or that lie that often persists, or that person who always cuts you down, or whatever it is that often seems to be lurking in the shadows, the goodness, the tov, and the covenant love of Jesus is on your heels after you, pursuing you. Jesus, your good shepherd, is chasing you. And not just in some random way, but with, with tov and said in his hands and a heart for you. And while we're at it, can we say, and Lord, for them too. Let's pray this for every person in this room for a moment. Let's just ask the Spirit to open our hearts to reality, to how God in love and goodness is pursuing us.
sometimes we sing together, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit. This is what we're praying for. For an overwhelming, incremental bit by bit or a flooding knowledge deep in our soul, a vision of our life that is you, who you are, God, with us, for us. Come, Holy Spirit, and awaken us to the truth of your loving pursuit of us. What a gift to know in the dark valleys of our lives. But there's more here, more to this verse. Hardly cracked it in a way. And it's found in this line about the active ministry of the shepherd's rod and staff, which together are the source of the psalmist's comfort in the dark valley. And personally, I have found this so helpful over the last few years. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm in the dark valleys of my life, I often just feel lost. For all the want in me, want to hear God's voice, know God's presence, all those things, all, even just my want to be found, to be embraced, to experience God. I'm not really a feeler. I have a heart, um, but I don't cry. I have, uh, you know, Janet makes up for that for me. Um, I don't. It's like a, a unique thing if I get emotion out of my face uh, or out of my eyes. Um, I often think of a moment years ago leading worship and a friend in college walked up and said, oh man, in the middle of that time, I just felt God entered the room. And I always, I remember saying, I always trusted he was here. Um, but I'm so thankful that you voiced that because God sometimes is uniquely present, uniquely known. And I, I need to know that and pay attention. But it's often not my wiring. And so for me, Maybe like some of you, when I am in a dark valley, I just feel lost. I, I get so consumed with my experience and my fears of the enemies that are clamoring against me or within me, and I cannot, for the life of me, find God. I can't see God. I can't hear God. I can't recognize His presence. I definitely cannot grasp what He's doing. And I cling to the psalmist's words, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is the truth, and I cling to it. But still, what is God doing in the dark valley? What is God doing with me in the dark valley? Where is God's comfort? How can I know God's comfort? How does God want to comfort me? I know how I want God to comfort me, right? I want a big, like, smushy Holy Spirit hug or something like that. I think that's often how we think about it. But how does God want to comfort me in the dark valley? And that's where the second half of Psalm 23, verse 4, seems to come into play. Because verse 4 tells us that in the dark valley, our shepherd is seeking to exercise the ministry of the rod and the staff for our good. It's what we need in the dark valley. Without this, his presence doesn't matter. <laughs> This is what we need. In a way, this is what God's goodness and love, loving pursuit looks like in action. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because as we've said before, on our own, on their own, sheep are utterly defenseless. Let me read to you from Kenneth Bailey. 
He says, sheep have a special problem. They have no defenses. Cats have teeth, claws, and speed. Some of you have cats and you know this. Dogs have their teeth and their speed. Uh, I've been there. I've got some, some uh, marks from my dogs over the years. Horses can kick and bite and run. Anyone ever been wounded by a horse? It happens. Okay, no, well, I remember when I was a kid, okay, when I was a kid here in this church, going to Camp Homewood, another family, I think it was the Lidstones, I think Papa Lidstone got thrown off a horse when we were up at the ranch one day. I am sure your dad, yeah, did. I was there on a trail ride, friendly trail ride, and then a wah! <laughs> Hence, maybe back issues, I don't know. Horses can kick, bite, and run, and throw, we'll say. Bears can claw, bite, and crush. Deer can run, but the sheep have no bite or claw and cannot outrun any serious predator. They can butt other sheep, but that ability will not protect them from a wolf or a bear. The sheep's only security is the shepherd. And in this regard, it's the shepherd's staff, rod and staff, skillfully and lovingly applied that make all the difference. Now, I'm sure some of you have studied this before. Maybe you have memorized Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Awesome book, very helpful. So I'm not bringing anything new to the table, but I think this is worth spending a few minutes on because it's like eating. You know, if you said to you, your mom or whoever's making you a meal, oh, I've had chicken before, I don't need it. That would be a ridiculous response, <laughs> right? You need to be fed today. And Psalm 23, I think, for all the insights we can get, we need to come back to it in each season because this is a word that we need in this time. So maybe think of this as necessary chicken if you've heard it before. Um, I think this is worth spending a few minutes on because this is a window into what God is doing, which God wants us to know and yield to, accept, embrace, say yes to in the dark valleys. So first, the shepherd's rod. Practically speaking, uh, it's a short stick. Uh, something of a club, uh, usually two, two and a half feet long. At the most basic level, this was primarily a weapon of defense in the hand of a wise shepherd. Light enough to be an intimate tool, but also light enough to be thrown when needed to send something away that shouldn't be lurking in. And the primary purpose of the rod was to guard and protect the sheep from external threat, both seen and unseen, on the horizon and up close. And we see this in the testimony of David, King David, writer of this psalm. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, when King Saul counsels young David not to go against Goliath unarmed. And David says, uh, let me think about it my own way. Because, and he says, when a lion or bear, thinking back to his time tending the flocks, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. And he would likely have done this with his rod. Maybe this is the use of the rod that we easily imagine. But the rod also has, is used to guard and protect the sheep in a more intimate way. I love how Philip Keller describes this. This has stuck with me for years. He says, because of their long wool, it's not always easy to de detect disease, wounds, or defects in sheep. In caring for his sheep, the good shepherd, the careful manager, will from time to time make a careful examination of each individual sheep. The picture is a very poignant one. As each animal comes into the corral and through the gate, it's stopped by the shepherd's outstretched rod. 
He opens the fleece with the rod. He runs his skillful hands over the body. He feels for any signs of trouble. He examines the sheep with care to see that all is well. This is the most searching process, a most searching process entailing every intimate detail. It is to a comfort to the sheep for only in this way can its hidden problems be laid bare before the shepherd. And honestly, uh, counter to maybe to some other animals, like otters, I saw otters this week, they clean themselves. And cats do a lot of cleaning of themselves. Sheep, I've never seen a sheep roll over and bend its legs in and search. They, they're not like that. They are relatively unable to care for themselves. And so this is a picture of something that the shepherd does that the sheep cannot do for themselves. I love this picture of God lovingly protecting the sheep with his eye on the horizon and the bushes willing and actively standing against all that comes against us, but also coming in close in the dark valley, coming in close to search and find and attend to the places of our hidden brokenness, woundedness, the wounds that we, God's sheep, cannot see, much less address. And there's incredible comfort in this, in the darkness and uncertainty of the valley to know that Jesus, our shepherd, is actively on our guard, seeing what we cannot see and standing against what threatens us. In truth, is this not what we all need again and again, but especially when we're in the dark valley? For God to not merely be with us, but to be for us in his withness. And according to Psalm 23, he is. No wonder the psalmist says that just seeing the rod in the shepherd's hand is a comfort to sheep in the dark valley. Okay, so the staff, last piece. I suspect when we imagine a shepherd, most of us envision a staff in their hand, like a, a Gandalf, you know, you shall not pass sort of scream. That's a staff, right? Um, like the rod, every shepherd, every ancient shepherd carried a staff, Kenneth Bailey explains. Lighter and longer than the rod, it, usually, it was usually about five feet long and the shepherd is never without it. Almost always one end has a crook in it. When a lamb cannot scramble down from a ledge or falls into a crevice or down a bank into a stream, the shepherd is able with the crook of his staff to catch the lamb by the leg or a shoulder and gently lift it back onto the path which gives us a window into the primary purpose of a staff. It's to guide, to correct, to redirect, and even at times to rescue a wayward sheep. Keller at one point talks about how sometimes a shepherd will simply keep his staff on the side of a vulnerable or weary sheep, both to keep it on the right path, but also just to assure it, I'm there, I'm with you, I'm for you. It is something every sheep needs, but more importantly, it's something we all need, especially in the dark valleys of our lives, to keep us from veering off path or following the wrong leader. I want to repeat a, a short story that Erica Popevnik shared a few years ago in this series. It's a true story, though this photo is not the picture of the event, full disclosure. Um, it, it's a story that comes from uh, a summer, July of 2005, in a Turkish countryside when a considerable herd of sheep, 1,500 sheep, roughly, simply marched off a cliff 
while their attentive shepherds ate their breakfast. The Associated Press news story reads, for first one sheep jumped to its death, then another, then another, and then dozens more. Having left their herds to graze while they ate breakfast, stunned Turkish shepherds now washed as nearly 1,500 others leapt off the same cliff. The first 450 animals died instantly under the billowing pile. How does it happen? Tim Laniak, an Old Testament professor, explains. He says, it happened because the sheep were allowed to wander onto the wrong trail. Unaware of what lay ahead, each one simply followed the next one to perish in the valley below. It is a curious behavior of sheep that once one picks a tail, the rest simply follow, sorry, once one picks a trail, the rest simply follow a tail in front of them without regard to their destination. How often have we simply followed the tail in front of us, especially in the dark valleys of our lives? How often have we simply followed the tail in front of us without regard to its destination? I suspect we do this more than we think or would like to admit. Thankfully, according to Psalm 23, our shepherd is not off at brunch, uh, oblivious and indifferent to our whereabouts. No, especially when we are in the dark valleys of our lives, our shepherd is not only with us, but active for us with his guiding staff. Even though I walk to the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod to protect and your staff to guide me. They comfort me. So let's conclude by shifting gears from revelation to invitation. And I want to simply invite us to pause for a moment. And I want to put two questions before us for us to linger on in this moment and maybe on into this day or in the next couple days. Alert to the purpose and necessity of the ministry of the rod and the staff to protect and to guide Two questions. Where have you, where have you experienced God's shepherding rod in this last season? Maybe this week, maybe this summer. God's shepherding rod, calling out approaching danger or highlighting a more intimate threat. And with that, where have you experienced God's shepherding staff in this season, directing you nudging you, correcting you, or even seeking to rescue you. Because your shepherd, this is what your shepherd is doing. This is what God in love, in goodness and love, is up to. Question is, are we paying attention, right? That's always ultimately question when we come to this psalm. The shepherd can be this way, but are we just running away? Are we ignoring? Are we fighting against our shepherd? Because our shepherd in love and goodness is seeking in all the seasons of our lives and especially in the dark valley to protect and to guide us. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Are we responding with, yes, please, thank you. Come and do your good work. Surely your goodness and love will follow me, chase me, pursue me, run after me all the days of my life. Let's pray.
Let's just be still for a moment and respond to God how we need to, maybe regarding these questions or just what God's been saying through the message, and then we'll all leave some prayer. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, living God. Thank you for your word and your spirit and the way that you, in community, seek to make yourself known to us. We count it as grace today that many of us have heard not just some teaching, but something in us has been named, and we take that as a sign of your spirit at work in us. And though we long for more, the part of our heart that's saying yes or finding ourselves named or called, you are near. You are in this moment. You are near. You are present with your rod and your staff, calling us to yourself, inviting us to respond or to go back to that direction you gave us or that protective, guarding word that you spoke over us. And to say yes, to consent today to your voice. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself, God, to us. Lead us into you, Lord. And Lord, as we sing... Uh, our closing song. I ask that you would peel back the part of us that uh, as we hear this song about your goodness, that we would peel it away from just how good our week was or not. We would, and we would center it on the cross, who you have revealed yourself to be. In all that life brings us again and again, we look to the cross And we discover a God who has loved us and who is loving us today in the same way. Open our hearts to you, God. Amen.